Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and I am happy to be up here um, to be preaching through Galatians, and, uh, and I'm happy you're here as well, worshiping with us, and um, so let's, let's dig in. We've been going through a sermon series through Galatians, and uh, I believe in the black Bibles that are either next to you or you might be sitting on one, if you didn't move it, um, it is on page 915. If you would turn there with me. <clears throat> So, um, Paul has already said a lot to the Galatians uh, up to this point, and this is one flowing thought from, from Paul. And, uh, and so it's pretty hard to summarize three whole chapters to get you where Paul is going and where Paul is thinking. And so um, I'm actually going to only do it um, with one verse. Um, so three chapters in one verse. Uh, so I'm going to be say, just saying... Uh, Galatians 2 verse 16 to you. This is Paul's, I would say, main point up to where we're at now. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I just read three chapters to you. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to read the word, and then um, let's see what God has for us this morning. Father, Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, God, I ask that you settle our hearts and help us to engage. Um, Father, it's been a busy week, and so we're, we're sitting here. Our phones are in our pockets, hopefully on silent. Uh, they're not going to distract us, but we're going to engage with you, with your spirit. And so, Father, um, reveal yourself this morning to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God... You were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that they make much of them. It is, always a, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you. My little children, for who I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. 
But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That's a lot. All right, let's get in. So, uh, verses 8 through 11, we're going we're gonna to take this chunk and work through it, and then we're going to go 12 through 20, work through it, and then we're going to go 21 through 31. Uh, I have a lot I would like to say this morning that I don't get to because of time, uh, but I would encourage you, if there's anything in this that doesn't come out in the preaching this morning, I would love for you to dig in it uh, by yourself on your own time, but also... Um, this would be a great, uh, great questions to bring up in uh, our MC groups and conversations with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So, in summary, 8 through 11, um, Paul says, Before Christ revealed himself to you, you were enslaved to gods that weren't even gods. And then you came to know God, or rather, you found out that God knows you and loves you. And that God is personal, and he can be known. And now you're going to turn back to those things that once were, to the weak and worthless elementary things, to those basic concepts of the way of life you were living. You're going back to gods, little g, that aren't really even gods, to the demonic bondage that held you. And now you think by observing the law, it will justify you before God. Church, Paul is making some very serious statements here. So justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is a very, very serious matter. When we begin believing that our works, our good deeds, the fruit seen in our lives, or how we feel about ourselves because of those things, contribute to the work of Christ on the cross for our salvation— we actually become worshipers of ourselves and other, of other gods, and we are actually completely at odds with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We become enemies of Jesus Christ. So Paul even says, it's, it's as if you never even heard the gospel. So for these Galatians, turning to the Jewish law is like turning back to their paganism. It's the exact same thing. For us to turn to the law, to be justified by our works, would be like returning to our life before Christ. 
The ESV study Bible has, a, has an interesting note uh, on this, that legalistic superstition and demonic domination are extremely closely linked. Both bring enslavement, not freedom. Uh, there, Paul uses words like enslaved and slavery and such, and I think oftentimes our Western minds go to a place of uh, 17th, 18th century slavery. But I actually want to direct us towards kind of a different thought when we hear slavery, because uh, I believe Paul is actually talking more about an, like an indentured servant, one that is in bondage and paying a debt to the master to become free. So when we hear slavery, when we hear enslaved, I want us to go to, to that kind of thought, that a, a debt has to be paid as an indentured servant. So for us as believers, in this cultural moment, and in, in right now, what are the things that we're enslaved to? What, what are the weak and worthless principles of the world that maybe we've turned back to, or maybe we have yet to come out of? So the way of the world of non-Christ followers, those that reject the gospel of Jesus, the way of the world is to fulfill the desires of the eyes. I see, I want, I desire anything outside of me, it's going to be mine. <clears throat> to, desire, uh, to fulfill the desires of the flesh with gluttony, with food, drink, uh, with sex, whatever my inner body wants, what I desire, I'm going to have. And then also with the pride of life, the pride in possessions of what I have and living as, as if in hedonist, like there's brothers, let's uh, eat and drink for we die tomorrow. Let's live it up as a hedonist. So the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world and our culture right now, I believe, are telling us this. I am what I do. My job, my way of life defines who I am. I am what I have. My possessions prove my worth. I am what other people say about me. I'm an individual. I'm my own person. I need to worry. I need to hurry. And I can't trust Jesus. I must live in my own strength. Bonnie, uh, my wife, who is uh, singing up here, uh, and I say something every morning before I go to work. And uh, I'm going to invite you into this. But we, we originally stole this from the author, Jeff Bethke. And I know he, it's not his own, but that's who we found it from. Um, and this tells us, I believe, what is true about what Jesus tells us, about who we are. And if you would, I want you to repeat after me. It's going to be up on the screen, but I want you to repeat after me. I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I'm not what other people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It is who I am. No one can take that from me. I don't have to hurry. Worry. I don't have to hurry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. What we believe, what we believe shapes us. What we believe determines how we act. And to Paul's point, what we believe will either bring us freedom or slavery. Slavery um, 
Slavery as an indentured servant. So remember that. Slavery towards, I must work to be free. I believe, therefore, I do. This is how I would like to live. I believe this, so then I'm going to do this. <clears throat> and I think that's partly true. And, uh, and I want the fruit myself for you. I want the fruit of that to be seen. But um, actually, I think it's actually the other way around we need to look at uh, how we live our lives and what is true. What I do actually tells me what I believe. I do, therefore, I believe blank. So this is looking at the fruit of our life and tracing it back to a root belief. This is commonly used in, in, in biblical counseling, to see the fruit of our life and to trace it back and go, why do I do what I do? <clears throat> How does this connect? So the Galatians began believing that circumcision and the observing of days and months and seasons of years by keeping the moral law and much, much more, the Jewish law, would make them holy and righteous before God. That, in that was their salvation. They were doing these things so that God would accept them, and because of those things, they found salvation. Now, nobody in our, in our church is preaching this directly. Nobody preaches that right now. Even in, even in, uh, in our world, like, not... You don't ever hear that. you got to follow the law in order to be saved. Like, if anybody has been preaching that to you, they're wrong. But I think there's something that connects with where we're at right now. Because when we believe that our worth, our identity, and our comfort, our salvation is in what we do, in what we have, or what other people say about us, isn't that the same thing? Is that, not, is that not law? The world elevates these things above all, all else. Just look at social media. Look how this connects to social media right now. I am what I do. I'm going to post it so you give me feedback. I am what I have. I'm going I'm to post it so you give me feedback. I'm also what other people say about me. Those likes, they matter to me. It feeds that lie, church. And I, I, I really believe that we partly believe it. And this can, come, this can come as a scary thought to us, but I, I want to encourage us to be honest before God and to our brothers and sisters in confession. And I want to ask this question so that we can take it to God in prayer. Father, what are the weak and worthless principles that I've turned back to in my life? Or what are the things that I continue in? What lies do I believe now? So there, there, there's going to be two uh, prayers up on the screen to help guide us how we can pray as a church at this moment. And the first is ask, asking us to actually help us know our sin, to asking God to reveal our sin so that we can confess and repent. I don't think some of us have to ask that. I think, I think we already know what needs to be said. I think we already know what needs to be confessed and repented of. So the second is a prayer of confession and assurance. And I'm going to take a whole minute. I'm going to time. I'm just like a whole minute, but I'm actually going to let it tick. And it's going to be silent in here. And I want, you, I want you to engage right now by praying to God. If anything came up about that, about believing that uh, what you do, what you have, what other people say about you is part of your way of life, that you believe that, I want you to take it before God and pray about those things. We want to get those things out. 
We want to be honest before God. So please, a whole minute that we are going to take to pray. Center in. Father, help us. Spirit, guide us. Thank you for your steadfast love and your mercy. Help us to rest in you, Christ. Amen. A whole minute can sound like a long silence, can't it? But I really hope and I pray that Jesus would move in our silence this morning. Let's move to verses uh, 12 through 20, looking at the formation of Christ in us. A summary of verses 12 through 20. Paul, Paul's traveling through Galatia, and because of a bodily ailment, he had to stop. So his intentions were to actually go right on through. But he stops. They welcome him in. He preaches the good news of Jesus Christ while he stays with them. And they received him with joy and gladness, as if he was Jesus Christ himself. But what happened? What, and, he, and he says, what, what became of your blessedness? And Paul, um, then he says, you were going to gouge out your eyes and give them to me. And it's pretty commonly known uh, that a lot of people think that this bodily ailment was something to do with Paul's eyes. And so they see him. They know that he has something going on with his eyes. And, uh, and they say, let me give my eyes to you. That's how far they would go for this man. And then he says, because I tell you the truth, now you're my enemy. So it's a complete opposite change of uh, position for them towards him. The false teachers, the teachers of the law, are flattering you only to receive flattery back. They are not genuine, and they actually want to shut you out of the kingdom of God. They don't care about you. And he says, my children, my spiritual sons and daughters, I'm in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Two things I want to hone in on is these statements, become as I am, I also have become as you are. And then we're going to look at my little children for who I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I've prayed about this text, prayed through this text, trying to figure out, okay, God, what, what is it you're telling me? What, what are you doing to my heart? What, is the, what do I believe the church needs to hear? <clears throat> become as I am. And this is a lot like I believe Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I follow Christ. And then he also says, for I also have become as you are. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul tells the Corinthians something very similar. And uh, the ESV is pretty confusing sometimes, and so I actually went to Eugene Peterson to help. Uh, the Message Bible is a paraphrased Bible where he takes what is said and, and he kind of uses it in just plain language, plain English language that we can understand. So I want to read this to you. It's going to be up on the screen so you can follow along. 
Eugene Peterson says, this is Paul speaking, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose living, immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take their way of life, but I kept my bearings in Christ. I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Isn't that beautiful? That is such a beautiful picture. So he became a Galatian so that he could win the Galatians to Christ is essentially what he's saying. And Paul's then asking the Galatians now to become like him. He's asking them to suffer for the sake of Christ. He's asking them to live in the freedom that Christ brings us. He's asking us to live in the gospel. Even more, though, this is about their faith. This is about their position in Christ Jesus. Paul is addressing their belief about who they are and about who God says they are. Become as I am. What is it that you are, Paul? He's free. He's free. In Christ, we are all free. We're free from the Mosaic law. We're free from the law given to the Israelites in the Old Testament. The law that the Galatians never knew because Paul didn't preach that to them. And now they're following it. They're observing the days and months and seasons and years, referring to the ceremonial laws that the Israelites followed. And all of this, all this law talk, they're following it so that they can be in right standing with God. He is completely free in Christ. Paul is. He's not enslaved. He's not paying off a debt as an indentured servant. So he's saying, become as I am, brothers. He's, he's in saying, I, I entreat thee, brothers, become as I am. Be an heir with Christ. Be a child of God. Be a child of promise. This freedom that he speaks of, this, this freedom that is in Christ, is formed in us from inside. It's not produced by us. It's not produced by doing these things so that we earn our freedom. This is where Paul says, I'm in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I know it it could be hilarious to make me, uh, to, to say a joke about a guy saying something about the anguish of childbirth. But I think it's a very serious picture about how Paul feels right now. This is his spiritual children. I mean, he's poured his life into these people, and he's going, now you need to be reborn? What I did for you, all the things that I've gone through for the gospel to get to you at this point, it doesn't even matter if you're turning back to the way of the law. So yeah, this is affecting Paul, but it's not just affecting Paul because it's about Paul, Paul's lover of his soul. It's not directly about Paul. It's about them It's about them forsaking Jesus. And he's going, I'm in anguish over this. It's as if you need to be born again. It's as if I need to start with you all over. 
Christ isn't being formed in them as they're turning to the law. And if Christ isn't being formed in them, what is? <clears throat> what is forming them? Legalism is forming them. The teachers of the law are forming them. They're finding their identity and their worth. The Galatians are finding their identity, their worth, and their salvation in what they do, in what they have, and what other people are saying about them. They're finding their worth in these false teachers that are trying to entice their ears and get them to come into a way of life that doesn't produce freedom. It produces slavery. Selfishness and pride is what is being formed in them. Arrogance and self-reliance is what is being formed in them. They're being conformed to a way of the world and not to the kingdom of God. And when we look to our justification for what we do, what we have, what other people say about us, we too are being formed in selfishness and pride. We too are being formed in arrogance and self-reliance. We're being conformed to a way that is not the kingdom of God. So, just a simple question that I kept asking as I'm reading this text is, Lord, is Christ being formed in me? And then the second question is, what is being formed in me? And maybe we could switch those around and say, Lord, what's being formed in me? Is Christ? So I've been asking these questions a lot, and I want to take you on a deep dive into what I believe God has kind of brought some roots out. I hope this encourages you to do the same and helps you along with your walk with Christ. So what is being formed in me? I give my time and attention throughout my week to many things. Uh, I work anywhere between 45 to 55 hours right now as a UPS driver, driving around, delivering all those Amazon packages. Um, there are 160 hours a week, in a week, and 50 of those, we'll just round it to 50, uh, I give to UPS, uh, my job. <clears throat> so I've been trained by UPS in certain ways. I have been uh, shaped in the way I think and who I am by UPS, uh, both in positive and negative ways. Uh, I am more aware of my surroundings while I'm driving because of the training I have received uh, with UPS. Um, I know my five keys to slips and falls, my 10-point commentary while on the road, my five seeing habits, my eight keys to uh, lifting and lowering, and so on. <laughs> These things help me throughout my day to be safe, and I'm very thankful for them. But on the negative side, I've also had to fight against finding my identity in what I do. I and many other people find their worth, their identity about who they are in their job. <clears throat> and UPS is a great job, and I, I do take pride in what I do. I like working for UPS. But sometimes I take pride in unhealthy ways. When I first meet someone, I am more then ready to tell them about what I do for a living over who I am, who I am in Jesus Christ. I feel more comfortable about talking about my job than who Jesus is to me and what he's done for me. And I, I believe our culture has trained us in this way. Hi, my name is Jeremy. Small talk, small talk, small talk. Oh, what is it that you do? Is that not a conversation? I bet that conversation happened this morning as we're introducing guests to how we are, who we are, and all those things. And I do it all the time. What a conversation that would be if I answered, 
Hi, my name's Jeremy. Yeah, I work for UPS, but that doesn't matter. Let me, let me tell you about who I am. And there are other ways UPS has formed me as well. I have, I have, uh, I have commit times as a UPS driver, and FedEx does as well. I know we have a FedEx driver in here. I don't know if he's in here today or not. Kyle Schweitzer, but we're best friends. So we're good. Um, I have, uh, I have commit times for UPS. Certain packages have to be, should be, have to be delivered at a certain time. I have uh, commit time at 10.30. Certain packages got to be delivered by 10.30. And then at 12 o'clock. And then at 3 o'clock. And then at that time, it switches to pickups. Uh, picking up um, residential or business uh, to get their ground or air packages out. So by 4.20, I have to meet a truck on road and make sure that those air packages get delivered to him so that he can get them to the airport. And then if I'm not back to the building by 7 o'clock, I have to make sure to get back to the building so that my ground packages to go, uh, to go out that night. As a UPS driver, I am constantly aware of the time. I am constantly racing the clock. I usually win. But do you know what that does to a person? I heard this asked at a pod, in a podcast recently. Is hurry a characteristic that you would give Christ? No. And so outside of work, I find myself just kind of anxious about what time it is. I'm constantly aware of what time it is. And in the hurry, I am not loving. I find myself sinning against my wife, sinning against my son, sinning against my friends. I mean, it, it just bubbles out. So I've realized over the last seven years how UPS has trained me. Now, in that, UPS has only trained as a, has a part of my life, and that's forming part of my everyday life and pride in what I do. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And I believe, I believe that I can fight against these things with the help through God, through the Spirit. I believe Jesus is telling me to fight against that mentality. And I believe he's telling you this morning as well. I can't change how UPS works, but I can choose to attack this mindset through prayer, through confession, and through repentance. Will you read this with me? Or actually repeat after me again. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take it from me. I don't have to worry. I don't have to hurry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. What are ways that you are being formed? What are, what, are, what are the ways that maybe Christ is being, is being formed in you, but what are the ways that maybe Christ isn't being formed in you? I want to take a whole other minute, a whole other minute of silence to just bring these thoughts, to bring these things that may have surfaced to God. Those two prayers will be up on the screen to, to just express your heart to God. A whole minute of silence. Let God work in the silence right now. Go to prayer with me.
Father, help us. Spirit, guide us. Thank you for your steadfast love and your mercy. Father, I can rest in Jesus. Amen. All right. Children of promise. Verses 21 through 31. I wanted to take so much time in this section, you guys, about going back and talking about Hagar and Sarah, and I just don't have the time. So I'm going to summarize about seven chapters in Genesis in a paragraph. So let's start by bringing Abraham, the promise of Isaac, and uh, see what Paul is referring to, because he's saying it as if we know what he's talking about. Huge section. Uh, If you want to just jot down, it starts in Genesis 12. And um, believe it or not, the, the story of that is continuing right now. But it starts in Genesis 12, and you can read about the whole thing. Story time. All right. So God calls Abraham and makes a covenant, a promise with him. God tells him he will be a father of nations and kings. Abraham is promised an offspring. As, and, and not just he says offspring, as, as many as there are stars in the heavens. That's as many offspring that will come from you, Abraham. And this is told to him at 86 years old. Sarah, his wife, she can't conceive a son and decides to offer her servant, Hagar, to Abraham as a wife so she can bear him a son. Abraham listens to Sarah, and since God hasn't provided a son, They take matters into their own hands, and Abraham takes Hagar to be his wife, and Hagar bears a son, and God names his name Ishmael. God appears to Abraham again and makes the covenant a promise of circumcision with him, and that circumcision will be a reminder of the covenant. You must be circumcised to be in the covenant. In this covenant, this promise, God will, uh, he, he promises to multiply him greatly again. He will be a father of multitudes. And then he also says, I will give you the land of Canaan, the promised land, and I will be your God and your offspring's God forever. And then God tells him at 99 years old of age that he and Sarah, who is 90 at this time, will conceive a son. This is God's promise to him being fulfilled. Abraham, it literally says, he falls down on his face and begins to laugh. <clears throat> he asks, then he asks God if Ishmael, the first, the, his firstborn, will be given in the inheritance, and God answers, no, but your son Isaac will be. The covenant, a promise, God established with Abraham will be passed down through the promised son, Isaac, not Ishmael. So some things happen in between with the two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a crazy story. After that, God's promise of a son between Sarah and Abraham come true. When Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah is 90, they have Isaac. Ishmael laughs, he mocks, he persecutes Isaac, as being, and this is in quotations, the promised son. Sarah sees this. She tells Abraham, cast out the slave woman, Hagar, and her son Ishmael. Get them out of my house. God tells Abraham to do as Sarah says. Because Ishmael will not have the inheritance that is promised to the son Isaac. But... 
God promises to take care of Ishmael because he is Abraham's son. But he still sends them away. He casts them out. They're out of the family. All right. So Abraham had two sons. We're going to be up here showing you. One son by a slave woman, one by a free. One according to the flesh. They didn't believe God, and they tried to produce God's promises by their own means. Does that not sound similar? They tried to produce God's promises by their own means. One, through promise. God gave them a promise, and God always keeps his promise. Now, these are two covenants. The first is the covenant of the law, which leads to slavery. There is a debt that needs to be paid. It doesn't produce the promise. This covenant says, you must do this, and then God will do this. The second is the covenant of faith in Christ, which leads to freedom and the promise, where God says, Christ has done this for you, and you don't have to do this anymore. So, brother, sister, we are, this is the main point. He says we are children of promise. At the very end, he says, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We are, we are children of the promise. How are we children of promise? We're children of promise through faith in Christ. Believing what he has told us is true so that we may be counted righteous, just as our father Abraham was. Now, this is, this is, this is really cool. I, I kind of nerding out here, but I, I got really excited about looking at this thing called children of promise and what this means. The promise of God to Abraham saying that his children will be as many as there are stars in the sky. Did you know that we, we are Abraham's children by faith? Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, 29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. That you and I are actually the fulfillment of God promising to Abraham that offspring. You and I are actually the fulfillment of that promise. God promised Abraham also, that he would be his God and his offspring's God forever. The same God of Abraham is our God today. Did you also know that there are 750 promises in the New Testament alone? 750 promises from God to us. 250 of those are unique promises. So 250 promises of those, those unique promises are repeated again and again and again for us. We are children of the promise. And those promises are ours. They're found only, only in Christ Jesus. So, brother, sister, rest, rest, rest in Christ there is no condemnation. This is a promise. It is beautiful. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can be assured if we are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We are in the family for good. We are justified, declared righteous and holy before our Father in heaven, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The law of slavery says, I am what I do, I am what I have, I am what people say about me. I must fulfill that law of God that first was given for him to love me and that the promises would come true because I fulfill that law. But faith in Christ brings freedom and faith in Christ says, I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take that from me. I don't have to worry. I don't have to hurry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. Father, would you make this true? Bring, bring what I think, what I know to be, believe is true, and bring it into my heart. Bring it into our hearts this morning, God. We are justified in grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone. Father, if I knew that, if I knew that to be so true at, the, at, at my very core, how then would I live as a free man? as a free woman. God, bring us into that freedom. Bring us into that faith and help us not to be, not to be enslaved by the things of the world or, or the things that other people say. But Father, move us into freedom. So Father, break the chains this morning. Spirit, guide us in this next week of, of saying these things that I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I am yours, Lord. Father, we love you because you first loved us, because you came to us. In Jesus' name, amen.